Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to The Debrief. I know we've been off for a couple of weeks now, and it's a new year. A new Debrief. Same old show. Different people. We have <laughs> Nick Jonas here today. Oh, wait. <laughs> okay. Ovalle. Ovalle. Sorry. Yeah. I thought you had just got back together. to make. Yeah. yeah. It's very easy. Yeah, I know young. Look alike. Young, handsome, talented. I can sing too. You can. No, not really. Were you, oh, were you in like a? You can. Were you a worship leader as a teenager? I was for a little bit. Do you have a reality program on MTV? Not anymore. No. Okay. No. So D- not Nick Jonas. Nick. Different Nick. Nick Ovalle, which is just as awesome. And then we have the Miss PMB. Hey everybody. Yeah. The the most beautiful woman in my life. Oh, <laughs> you're sweet. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming, so I gotta be prepared. You start now. Yeah. Lay the romance out early. <laughs> Bring that A game. Dude, my right. ship has sunk many a time. Many a time. I've learned the hard way. Yeah. No comment from you. Okay. All right. It's my show. <laughs> yes. So we're not trying to cultivate conflict. We're trying to <laughs> debrief the weekend. Talk Anyways, I'm later. yeah, I'm PMB and uh, super glad you guys are listening or watching along and uh, we're going to be starting this up. I want to remind everybody to do the 60 day Bible study, 60 so days to good. a better you. Oh man, today was just fantastic. And let me encourage you, read the introduction. Man, that was amazing. Um, read uh, the real mm-hmm. Bible study method, mm-hmm. uh, read the text, uh, explore the main idea or theme, ask God what he wants to say to you, and then apply it to your life. And the questions were just so good today. So, so good. And I'll be talking about that a little bit on my Instagram later. But it's good. I, I'd actually done sort of a version of this through the Wayfinding Bible. So I'm like starting that again. But the questions yeah. that the team is like, come up with have had me think of it in such a different way like the power of words of God spoken to creation yesterday yeah. and then also I did this last year but then doing it again now knowing that my entire church family is doing this with me and we're thinking about that is just such yeah. a great it's just a it's been a great time with God and a great time as a church so that's really good really really good glad you guys are joining us today and super excited we got some great questions and so let's get started yeah first question uh, is from Annie she said earlier last year I had a conversation with my boyfriend which ended the relationship we were having sex and I wanted us to get right with God I love God more than I love my ex but ending the relationship was a tough blow which sent me spiraling I allowed it Mm -hmm. to negatively impact my relationship with God and church family, and I'm only recently starting to heal from the hurt. What advice would you have for someone making the decision between God and their significant other, and what advice would you have for people who have recently ended a relationship to get right with God? Yeah, absolutely. So our next series is called Non-Negotiables. I think it starts February. We're not sure. Coming to a theater near you yeah. <laughs> in February-ish. So as Valentine's soon, weekend. It's the yeah, 14th, Valentine's 15. weekend. Yeah, there yeah, we go. 14, so 15, 16. And so non-negotiables is all about relationships. And so I believe that relationships are the greatest uh, thermometer in, in, that engage the temperature of the, your relationship with mm. God. And so when you look at the relationships you get, engage in, your friendships, your romantic relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, it really tells you where your relationship with God is. Um, and so anytime... We find relationships that are not growing our relationships with God, particularly in dating, and you have that conversation. And here's why it's so important, Annie. I appreciate the, uh, the question. Here's why it's so important not to have sex. Now, you did the right thing after, but what I want to encourage everybody listening is do the right thing before. Because when you start having sex, you know, you, you've entangled. You, you've entangled your soul. You've entangled your heart, right? Your mind is in it. And, you know, sex means for most men something very different than it means for most women. There mm-hmm. are exceptions. There's always exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. But most men can have sex and not feel entangled. Most women cannot. 
-hmm. Obviously, there are differences and, you know, there are all kinds of variations in terms of, you know, men and women and their sex drives. But usually that's the way that it works. And so what happened is you're engaging sexually. You want to have a conversation because, you know, you love this guy and you've you've had sex with this guy. And now you want to have a spiritual relationship with this guy. And you're asking him to go to some place that he wasn't ready for. And so that caused mm -hmm. a split. And so I think what you said specifically in your question when I read it is, that was a difficult thing for you. And now you feel like your, your relationship with God has been affected. And so what happens is a lot of times, especially as new Christians, is we want like a, a righteous reward from God when we make a decision. And so we want a cookie from heaven because, hey, I, I made this hard decision and we want it not to hurt. We don't want to be sad. We want God to be like, oh, you know, here's this this next thing for you. And, and really what we have to do is we have to sit in and, and remind ourselves of, oh, wow, that really hurt. And here's why that's important, Annie. Because that hurt and that pain will oftentimes be a better reminder than the peace that you had from making the decision. The next time there's a guy and he's not a Christian, you need to remind yourselves of that. Um, you know, you say, okay, it, go it, ahead. I was going to say, it's that reminder of just like um, a lot of young people, all, all of us, I guess, go into it thinking, oh, God's keeping me from this. <clears throat> what that reminder can be is, oh, this is what God wanted to keep me from. Yeah. This pain, this hurt, this was why his plan It's because he loved me, he cared for me. He didn't want me to experience yeah. this spiral, this heartbreak. And, um, on the front side of things, you don't have that perspective, but you have it now going into it of like, Oh, God wants to protect me from this heartache. Because what happened after that conversation is you learned a lot about what your relationship was really about. Yeah. And let me say this is what you're experiencing. Annie is, is divorce. Like it's not divorce. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not telling anybody that you've experienced div it's divorce. Like, you were all mm -hmm. into this. You, you, your heart was at a place where the relationship was not. And that's why courting is so important. Engagement is so important. And marriage is so important. So we'll talk about this in our, in our non-negotiable. So courting is, is being upfront and honest about your intentions. Nobody does that. Like everybody today is like, well, why do we need to clarify the relationship? Because you need to make sure you're both on the same page. Because if somebody is in it more than the other, and so, so you can say, hey, we're exploring. Hey, we're, we're serious. Hey, we're, you need to constantly clarify in dating what direction you're moving and, and honesty really helps you to move on. Mm -hmm. But when one person is lying or one person is, doesn't feel like they can be honest, like that's a terrible future for you. So courting forces honesty. Then there's engagement and it says, okay, we've set a date and, and you shouldn't get engaged without a date. <laughs> you know, you, you shouldn't have a three-year engagement or four year. You should say, okay, so, so we're courting. When we move mm -hmm. to engagement, we've set a date on the calendar and it's a reasonable date. And now we are moving towards you know, uh, uniting our, 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 uh, our finances, uniting our plans. We're, we're talking about the serious issues of marriage. How many kids, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? And we're making those decisions together because a lot of marriage conflict is you don't talk about that until after you get married. And, and, the, and the, the, uh, the engagement phase is all about the wedding rather than what it, what it used to be is the negotiation and nobody understands. So for thousands of years, right? There's the engagement period is this negotiation and it used to be families negotiating. Okay. What, what, what is everybody putting in this? And it was all up front and it was all honest. And then the families agreed to that and then they move forward. And nowadays we expect young people to figure this out all in themselves. Parents are uninvolved except they they're expected to write a check. Right. Um, which is hilarious, right? Parents aren't involved in negotiation, but they're the one that writes the check for the conclusion. So, um, Make sure that, you know, you're bringing people in and you're having these discussions and you're getting honest feedback. Um, and so engagement, you know, is 
a great time to say we're going to be in a community group. We're going to be in church. We're going to tithe. You know, what, what does that look like? We're going to give, we're going to serve. This is what our marriage is going to be about. And, and I think that's a great time. So Andy, my heart breaks for you. Um, sometimes the best lessons are learned through suffering and pain. I'm sorry this happened to you. God wanted to save you from this, but your choices led you to this. And so here's what I would encourage you to do is trust God from this point forward. You know, today's Bible reading is about, you know, Genesis chapter three, God said, don't, and they did. And so God tries to save us from the choice, but he doesn't save us from the consequence. And so Adam and Eve were, were, were try, he tried to save them. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, and the devil, did God really say? And so they experienced the consequence. And it's interesting. There's more time and attention devoted in Genesis 3 to the consequence than there is to the choice. And most people don't see that. So we get all wrapped up in cultural wars. Well, the woman is this and the man is that. And we don't look at Man, there's a whole lot more verses focused on what was the consequence of the decision rather than the real brief part of, wow, the fruit looked good. Let's take a bite. And then you have this long chapter of here's what went wrong. And so, you know, Annie, that's where you are. You're in the long chapter. And and let me just say this. It takes sometimes years to get over a heartbreak and, and, and time does not heal wounds. Intention heals wounds. You have to be intention, intentional about trying to fix this. Because I see a lot of women, they have a hurt from a previous man. It can be a man, but usually it's the woman. They get betrayed, lied to, Mm -hmm. devastated. And so then what they do is they don't trust the next guy. Mm -hmm. So before you move on to the next guy, Mm -hmm. you need to heal from the last guy. Okay, that'd be a great Instagram quote right there. There is a time component to it, though. I've just... You know, Matt and I have walked through this with a lot of young adults. We have two adult daughters we've walked through this in the past with of just that component of time, though, is a thing is like, right, you know, right in the beginning, it's because it's like you had a way of life. Now you don't. So your day's literal time feels different. You know, everything hurts. Everything feels different because it is your normal has changed. Um, But that hope of just like doing the right thing is always the right thing. And that's what you've done and knowing that God will honor that. And, and pretty soon, you know, there, there's probably a period for you where all day, every day you thought about this and then it'll be like, Oh, I just ate lunch and forgot to think about how sad I am before you know it. You'll go a day, two days before you know it, you'll go a month before that wave hits you. And in time while you're doing and being intentional to heal all of a sudden, You'll have months go by. Life will come back to normal. And God will, um, God loves you. And he, and he rejoices when we do the right thing. And you've done the right thing in that. So as you're intentional in that, knowing that in time, you will feel, won't feel sad all day, every day again, all week, every week, all month, every month. In time, the intentionality that you put into the healing will, right. will have fruition. But the saying is, Time heals all wounds. Right. That time is Time is not the healer, time but in and time. Time and attention, <clears throat> intentionality will heal all wounds. So I have to be intentional about learning, growing, changing, and in time it gets better. But time alone will not make it go away because sure. yeah. you're not going to trust the next person. <clears throat> so what did I miss? What do I need to learn? How do I need to grow? Um, and I think breakups make us a little paranoid. It, they just mm-hmm. do. I mean, you put your heart out there, it gets stabbed. And, you, and, you, and you're freaked out. So, Annie, praying for you. Love you. Thanks for your question. Yeah. And her, thanks her for honoring God hours. in time and with continued intention following God. You're going to be blessed and better off. So good. 
Our second question comes from Anonymous and says, you mentioned twice about being critical of the church. Uh, this is where I'm at at the moment. You mentioned having a bad attitude about church. This is also where I'm at at the moment. I have lost my son earlier this year in an act of gun violence. He was battling mental issues and drugs. What happens when the answer we pray for and the outcome isn't what you hope for? What happens when you still get a negative outcome? Did I not pray hard enough? Did I not, not fight hard enough? And did I not believe hard enough? Yeah, so so here's the problem, and it's why Sandals is not, we're not a name it and claim it church. We just, we just do not operate that way. I think it's manipulative, it's cultish, and it's wrong. Yeah. I mean, everybody who's been a part of a name it and claim it has experienced that doesn't you know, happen. And so Jesus says, you know, whoever asks in accordance with, you know, the will of God, the father, right, they're going to get that. And so you have to ask according to what is his will, what is going on. And so here's the thing is, is we ask God for whatever we want. We trust God, you know, with the outcome. We just say, okay, God, you know, and ultimately with with the situation, um, and I actually know who this person is and and I've met and I've prayed with you and I'm so sorry for what happened. And, And the tragic end to your son's life was, was brutal, uh, and 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 his end actually affected the lives of others. So I, I know her situation. Um, he, here's the thing: is and this is why you, I want to challenge you again to do the sixty days in the Word. One of the things that you're going to discover as you read the story of God is that people's choices matter. So God has his will, but he doesn't force his will upon you. So when the Bible says God's will will be done, what that means is, uh, you know, like an overarching theme. And so I look at it like D-Day. And so when the allied powers, uh, Britain and America, what they said is, we're, they said, we're going to attack, you know, the axis of evil. And that's not what they were called, but it was Japan and, and Germany, Nazi Germany. And it is the will of the American people that we're going to fight until the, the total and absolute surrender. And so that's the way that you have to see it is that God's will is kind of this big picture thing. But the reality is if soldiers are disobedient, if soldiers go their own way, if soldiers don't listen, there are casualties that on a micro level are hard to understand on the macro level. So, so the little picture is, wait a minute, I, I've suffered loss. I've suffered this. And, and, and it's not just to say that. Sometimes the sin of someone else affects your kid who is walking the right path. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a kid who's following God, trusting God, and you got some person who knowingly and willingly gets in a car and they've been drunk and they slam into your kid and kill your kid, that's the other thing that's terrifying about life. It's not just our obedience that matters, but it's the obedience of people. When people are careless, when people are reckless, when people are sinful, it impacts and affects us. And so what I would just say is you're grieving, you're hurting, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I would just ask you, was your son in church? Was he trusting God? Was he following God when his life came to an untimely end? The answer is no. And so the lesson that I would encourage you to glean from that, even as you hurt and grieve is, it's better to listen, trust, and follow God. And ultimately, as a mother, I mean, this is the hardest thing as a parent, is you can teach your children the right things to do, but when they become adults, or, or in some cases prior to that, they're strong-willed kids, they can do their, their own thing, and they can learn the hard way. And that has horrible impacts. And if you're a kid that's listening, one of the lies the devil says, and I think stupid friends say, is that it's, it's your life and it's your choice. But what you're finding out is, in this case, even an adult who made some horrible choices, he's dead and gone, and it's still his choice is still affecting her. So your choices affect the people that love you and care about you. And the people that tell you it's just your choice, they don't love and they don't care about you. Uh, oftentimes, they just want to use you. And so I'm going to be praying for you, but I would just say, 
you know, there are seasons where I've been hurt at the church. There's been seasons where I have to preach to an audience and I'm staring in the face at some just really rotten people that have done some terrible, awful things to me. Um, you know, I, I mean, this happened one time, you know, Tammy and I were leading a conference and, and I, a church member came up to me right before I was going to speak. And she said, I just have to tell you this before you speak. I'm really angry with you and upset. And I had to get that off my chest so I can get something out of your talk. And I was just like, I mean, I'm standing on stage getting ready to start this conference. And then she goes and sits down with her husband. And, she, and I was just like, whoa. I mean, so I probably would have handled that very differently now. But when I was younger, I was just like, I didn't, I would, I mean, I don't know what I would have done, but I would have done something different from what I had done. So there's hurts and there's weird things that, that occur in the church. Uh, I mean, I've had seasons where I've had conflict with staff. I mean, like literally staff who... Uh, have done things to me, and then I responded in ways that weren't right. I mean, so church is an imperfect thing, but we're called to be faithful to it, not because church is perfect, but because the God who told us to go to church is. Mm -hmm. So I have to trust Him in that process. And I think that's one of the things that grief does. Grief makes things that we know we should do hard to do, like sleeping, like mm -hmm. eating, like reading our Bibles, and like going to church. And that's just a natural part of grief. But getting healthy is about saying, I'm not going to listen to my feelings. I'm going to do what I know I should do, and I know I should be a part of church, and I, I know I should go there. And um, I would just say to this woman who's writing in, you know, I know who you are. I've prayed with you. I love you. You're welcome at our church, and I'm so sorry for your grief and your hurt and your pain, but the best place to heal from life and, and, and the sins of others and the sins committed against you is in God's church. That's the best place to heal. And uh, yeah. thank God in this case, the, the, the evil wasn't committed in the church because sometimes that's where it happens. So, Well, that's what I would say is I don't know who this is. So I can't speak to all of those details that you obviously know about. But, you know, in grief, in our emotion, and Matt and I have seen this firsthand recently, um, you know, especially in a, a tragic, uh, a tragic trauma type situation, which this sounds like this situation was as well. The enemy is going to get in there and, and it's been, it's interesting to watch how in grief, the enemy knows exactly where to attack. And so we think, oh, it's grief. It's traumatic. We're immune to that in that time. But I was going to say to just be guarded on the enemy is going to want to isolate you and separate you from people who love you. The church is a place, but it's also people like, like you said, Matt, yeah. you and I have been hurt. Our deepest wounds come from, oh, yeah. Sandals from, church. from Sandals church, but also, <laughs> but also is the key. Our greatest friendships, our greatest joys, when we've had our hardest times, it's still those people because the church is people. And so I would just, I would just want to encourage you to not discount the church body because of a couple people or a couple comments, because these could also be the same exact people who come over when, when loneliness overwhelms you or anger's overwhelming you and enemies getting the best of you to pray on your behalf, to pray before you, to intercede. Um, and to be there for you because what the enemy wants for all of us is us to be separated, isolated from the church because that's what separates and isolates us for God. Mm -hmm. And so to just, to just, I just want to encourage you to really try to shift your perspective on the church as a whole, knowing that it's people, it's broken people. Again, you and I can speak to our, our deepest wounds ha have happened. Yeah. 
at our church at Zandel's church. Um, and yet those have been the pe- also different groups of people been the best things that have happened to us in our darkest of times. And so just to know that we don't just fight flesh and blood, the church, the battle's right. not with the church or people of the church. The battle is with, with the enemy who wants to isolate you, wants you to be bitter, wants you to be angry, wants you to be separated from God. And so it's just like, it's, it's one tragedy lending itself to another if you're not careful. And so, yeah, absolutely. But I'm so sorry. I mean, I can't imagine that scenario and how complicated and painful it is, but just to know you're loved here and, and there's the church is, is the hope of the world, even, even despite, yeah. It's flaws. So. Uh, our next couple of questions deal with anxiety. And Steve says, I deal with uh, anxiety probably at a level Same, that is considerably Steve. above average. Yeah, uh, I definitely know that anxiety, depression, and mental illness can be rooted as spiritual, but I also know that it could be medical as well. Um, and the question is, uh, is it even like praying and seeking the Lord? How do you discern between what is a medical issue or what is a spiritual issue or what is both? Yeah, I think that they're usually both. Um, and so I think that the error of the church, I think I've said this many times, is that we discourage people from seeking medication and counseling. I think that's sinful, that's wrong. And if you go to a church that is against counseling, get another church, get out of that church. That is an unhealthy cultish place. And I would get out of there. Now, having said that, if you are going to a psychiatrist who thinks God is dumb and, and spirituality is fake, get a new psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And so you need both. And that's one of the problems, you know, it's particularly here in California. uh, A lot of people talk about the homeless crisis. You know, the homeless crisis um, really is not about homelessness. It's about mental illness and drug addiction. And those are the two primary issues. And I know people are going to send in and give me some example. That's the example. That's not the problem. The problem is mental illness and drug addiction. And many of these drug addicted people don't just need medication. They need spiritual intervention. And uh, the church has to find itself. Um, You know, Sandals has been engaged in this. And the problem is, you know, the church can get just as wonky on, on, on spiritual exorcism or spiritual intervention. And so it's, it's just, a, you need a really, really healthy, grounded person to lead in that area. And um, unfortunately, those things are difficult. We do have soul care, and I would encourage you to come to soul care. Um, but find a Christian psychiatrist. I went to a psychiatrist, Dr. Smith in Corona. Uh, love him, appreciate him. Uh, I went to him because he's a psychiatrist and and he's an elder at his church, Crossroads Christian Fellowship in Corona. So big, successful church. Um, love him. I send people to him all the time. I just recommended him last night. Uh, I wanted somebody that loved God, was in the church, understood church leadership, and was a psychiatrist. So I, I had all three of those things. And, um, you know, some of you can't maybe afford uh, Dr. Smith, you know, go to Kaiser and just say, I prefer Christian counselor. And, and, and just tell Kaiser that I prefer somebody who, who is, is approaches spirituality just like I do. And um, I know that we have psychiatrists at our church that work at Kaiser, that work in the medical field. And there are people that, you know, if you give them permission, would, would probably love to pray with you and encourage you and direct you in that way. Uh, you know, I think at Sandals Church, you know, people don't know this, but every, every week at Hunter Park, when we call people forward for prayer, I know there are two psychiatrists, like doctors, MDs up there wanting to pray with people. And people are like, no, I'm just like, oh my God, you don't have to pay a copay. You know, <laughs> just go up there and, and ask for prayer. And they, and they utilize their, their giftedness is one of the guys that prays uh, Sundays at Hunter Park. I was at Kaiser and I'm sitting in the lobby and he's on the TV screen talking about mental health. 
And I told him, I was like, I was watching your video. Cause you know, sometimes he watches me on screen and I saw him and I was just laughing and uh, you know, he's high five on the Enneagram. He wants no attention. He's like terrified of like fame, you know? So he was telling me that the Tower of Babel, he's like, that's not me. He's like, I don't want to be a part of that. But I was just laughing that people don't even realize like there are really brilliant people mm-hmm. up there that want to minister to you. And in the church, it's free, yeah. you know, it's free and, 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 and they can help direct you. And so I would just say, uh, go, go to both, come to soul care, talk, talk to them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at sandals, we have counselors that we can recommend and people that we can send you to, but don't be ashamed to tell people, you know, I was in small group last night and we were encouraging one church member in our group to, to go and, and, and think about going to psychiatrist. And one of the other group members just said, he said, I, I went like, he's battling anxiety. It's not getting better. Mm-hmm. He's got PTSD and trauma. And he just said, look, man, he said, I real, and this guy is one of the most spiritually mature people in our church but he has some, some trauma that he's just not able to deal with. And so uh, medication can, I think, here's the ultimate is I don't think any medication will make anxiety disappear. So just listen to that. If you're looking for the golden pill, as far as I know, it does not exist. What it can do is it can bring your anxiety to a, a lower level with which you are able to operate and then begin to unclutter your mind and deal mm-hmm. with issues. But if you're going and you're looking for a pill to fix you, I think you're going to be grossly uh, you know, disappointed. You, you want to you lower that anxiety threshold, and then you want to delve deep and look at what do I need to change uh, in order to uh, exercise my mind and my emotions in a different way. And, um, and, and here's the thing is, did he give a name? Steve. Steve. It can get better. I am not promising you will be healed. So the apostle Paul asks God three times to remove the thorn in his flesh. And three times God says, my grace is sufficient for you. So sometimes, you know, that goes back to the woman's prayer. God can say no. And so we have to humbly, when we, when we put our prayer requests before the Lord, God does not have to do what we ask. And, 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 and truthfully, when I ask, I'm afraid oftentimes for what I want. I, I want what God wants. So God, here's, here's my plan. Freely, willfully do what you want because I've learned time and time again, I, I don't know. God knows. God is always moving. And so, uh, so I just would encourage you, Steve, I'm praying for you. Anxiety is a real issue. Um, and again, I think that medication can lower anxiety. It will not cure it. I think that's the thing you and I talk about quite often is people who, um, and I'm not saying this about Steve, but just people who are just like, I have anxiety. I'm just going to go get medicine to fix it. You know, I struggle with a moderate level of anxiety as you are well aware. (laughs) Six on the Enneagram. And, um, it, it is just such a part of natural woven of who I am. But as I pursue being healthy and trying to navigate it, I'm well aware of like when I engage in this, when I do this, when I look at this, when I whatever, it's it can spike or fall. So I do some things to navigate it. And I'm not saying you have to navigate it all on your own. I just like how you said, like it can't be the, the, the wherewithal. But part of how I navigate that is through prayer, through my community group, who know they know things that trigger me, make me very anxious. <clears throat> and so we always caution people to do both. Yeah, are you like, okay? Are you dying? <clears throat> I might be. I might We're losing be. Tammy. Sorry. <clears throat> um, you have water? But that thing, what we don't want is just people going, oh, medicine will just fix it. We no. want medicine to be part of a solution. And then 
discipline, personal discipline, knowing yourself, knowing what motivates you, knowing what triggers. I have a baseline of anxiety all the time. Like Matt's like, just relax and have fun. I'm like, I can't. Like, it's just not a thing. But um, but I do know what elevates it. And so I have to make hard decisions sometimes to not go to certain things, not do certain things. Um, and then spiritually and every once in a while I have had medicine for that. So, you know, it, it is just such, it, it's a multifaceted thing. It's just not one or the other. Yeah. So but I talk to a professional. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you. Uh, uh, Following that question, Anonymous wrote in and said, recently I've been struggling with major anxiety because my boyfriend is in the process of becoming a firefighter. Mm. My dad died unexpectedly when I was 11, so the trauma from the past makes dealing with that much harder for me. I'm currently on medication for anxiety and have been in therapy for over a year. I want to trust God and be supportive of my boyfriend's career choice, but I can't shake the fear of the unknown. I can't bury the idea of losing another important man again in my life. Um, so just asking for any wisdom or any uh, any encouragement. I'd be yeah. interested to see if she's, what her any yeah. score would be. See, and this is why this is why I think the courting and engagement process is so important because mm-hmm. ultimately you, you this guy could be the perfect guy for you, but his career choice, profession, and calling does not fit with the level of anxiety that you're going to live with. You just, ladies, you, you don't you don't get it all. You don't get to have it all. You know, if you are if you're an anxious person and you're a uh, man wants to be a police officer, wants to be a fireman, wants to go into the military. Like those are inherently dangerous professions. Uh, and thank God for men, because men predominantly yeah. are drawn to those positions. There are some ladies that, that do that, and we, we thank God for your service. But men are just more apt to take riskier jobs. and prof- That's just kind of the way God's made us and, and wired us. Um, and so... You know, if this is a man where that's what he wants to do, that's what he feels called to do. So there's one of two choices. He can decide to alter his calling and change his profession because he wants to give you uh, comfort and peace. That's an option. Another option is, you know, you come to some sort of peace with what this is. And and again, it's why I said time doesn't heal all wounds. She said, I lost my dad when I was 11. Mm-hmm. So time and intentionality can heal those wounds. That's a major, major loss uh, no kid should have to ex- ever have to experience that, encounter that, right? That's that's a lifelong wound. That's something that's not totally healed until Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. But there are some steps that you can be walking through. And here's the thing, ultimately, no no man, regardless of what he does, if, if his job was to live in a bubble every day, there's no, there's no promises that people are going to live forever. And so you're going to have to deal with the fact that to love people means you're risking. Mm-hmm. You're risking losing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's better to love and risk than to not love, right? And that's why I'm not a Buddhist. A, a Buddhist, a lot of people don't realize what the word nirvana is. Nirvana is total detachment from feelings and emotions. So that's what the Buddha does, right? So Siddhartha, to find himself, he abandons his wife and his children, and he seeks nirvana, you know, a worry-free life. And what he finds is detachment is the way that you combat life's illnesses and weakness. And that's not what Jesus does, right? Jesus says you should love, you should passionately love, but you should trust God in the midst of that. And so that's why I can't stand it when people say all religions are the same. They say very, very different things. You know, the, the... the Buddhist is seeking detachment and ultimately just numbness. That's nirvana, the ultimate numbness. And what we are seeking um, with Christianity is oneness with God. 
So numbness and oneness, and those are two totally different paths, and you need to choose which path you're going to go. And so, um, and that's really what Eastern meditation is. It's detachment. It's meditating and it's, it's intentionally removing oneself from one situation where meditation in Christianity is intentionally inviting God into the situation. Those are two totally different things. And so unfortunately, Christians are like, we're not for meditation, which it's in the Bible, the words in the Bible. We're not for Eastern meditation, which is you're just detaching yourself from one's reality and like you're kind of like floating or whatever. Um, we, we, what we want is we want God, we want intervention. We want God in what's happening. And, and listen, those are tough talks. Those are tough talks and tough conversations. And in the end, you may not be able to reconcile. And that's okay. That's okay. I don't believe that there's one person for you. I believe that there are many, many wonderful people out there. And maybe there is some guy with a desk job that you're just going to love and, and feel very, very safe. But, but even than that, yeah. you have to know, like, yeah. life is uncertain. Yeah, you could get hit that's by a bus. That's why God yeah. matters so much. Yeah. Because we can have when, when things in this life aren't secure, we know we have security. <laughs> you know, speaking from a high six on the Enneagram, I think all the time of every single thing that yeah. can go wrong. And and when I spiral, it's usually when I'm really chasing that. And you know this, I have to work so intentionally to not think of what could go wrong, but think of what could go right. Because I have spent a lot of years not doing things, saying no to things or not enjoying things because I'm hyper-focused on what could go wrong that I've missed so much joy. And then whatever circumstance it was happened and nothing went wrong, but I missed it. I missed what God had for me in it. I missed the opportunity or the joy or the experience. And yeah. and so that, that also is a component of if that's just your natural bend in life because you had trauma at such a young age, that makes so much sense. And I love that you're in counseling and that you are doing you know, you are being intentional to that, but it's going to be a lifelong and, and I don't have it to the same degree, but I do understand that a lifelong discipline to, to trust that God has the best for you, um, to trust that he holds your, you and your future and to train yourself to be considerate for what could go wrong, right. but not to live there, but also to, to think through and, and let yourself proceed about what also could go right because yeah. we spend a lot of time thinking what could go wrong or missing out on things and then that it doesn't happen yeah and let me just say this um somebody's got to be a cop somebody's got to be a fireman and somebody's got to be in the military or guess what we're all hosed we're all hosed like if like uh, just think for a second if there if there was no firemen if all firemen went on strike think if all policemen went on strike think if our whole army said you know what we're done Okay. I mean, there's real evil in the world. And without those individuals, I mean, we should all be afraid. We should all be wrecks because we need people that are out there that are dealing with dangerous situations and dangerous people. And, you know, we need the fire department to come to our house. We need someone to come and rescue us. You know, we just went through this with a family in our church. One of our pastors, right, had to call 911. Thank God we have, you know, ambulances and fire departments and the police that are willing to yeah, to show up to those awful situations and try to save lives. And so I think it's an honorable profession, but you need to deal with, you may not be willing to try to handle that. And you can't punish the person because without those people, mm-hmm. you know, we're all, we're, we're, none of us are safe. So, so thank you to all of our, yeah. our people that put themselves in harm's way to keep us safe. We love you and we appreciate it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Last question I have for you is from Josie. 
He says, I lack overall motivation for everything in my life. I'm in my late 20s and my life is exploding. I've lied and manipulated my way through life and now have pushed my loved ones away, lost friends, uh, lost respect from others, lost trust from others. Um, and she goes on to say, I'm grateful to God to have overcome urges to excessively drink and party. Um, and now, how do I fight a severe lack of motivation to commit myself to change my life when I know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And so that's the, so let me start off positive. At least you understand that you've lied and manipulated your, your way through life. I mean, you have no idea how important that statement is. Uh, the Bible calls that, uh, you know, repentance. And so you're at the first stage of repentance is, uh, so mm-hmm. Luke 15, I have sinned against my father and against God. Now, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And he says in Luke 15, I know what I'll do. I'll go home and make myself a slave. Because slaves are treated better in my father's household than I am where I am now. And so that's what you have to understand is, you know, finding the right motivation. And so I think here's what's discouraging. When you live a life like what you're doing, and let me just say this. You're, she said she's in her 20s. Mm-hmm. It just gets worse in your 30s and then in your 40s. And then oftentimes people become suicidal because what they do is they look at their life and they go, I can't fix this. Like I've, I've been bad for so long, there's no way out and they, they lose hope. And so here's what I would say is if you think this is hard in your 20s, wait to try to change until your 30s. And if you think that is hard, wait till your 40s and your 50s and your 60s. And before you know it, you've put yourself in, in just such a horrible situation. And that's the message we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. A lot of people, the question they ask is, God, what do I do? And God's question is, why are you there? And so what did I do to get here? And so oftentimes what do I do is best answered with how did I get here? Because what I have to do is I have to get out of where I've gotten. And that's, that's a whole process. And hopefully and prayerfully, you know, you're at the place where there's, there's still a U-turn. Sometimes in life, there aren't U-turns. Mm-hmm. Like you, you find yourself in a situation where there's no good choice here. Like no matter what you choose, it hurts, wounds, and maims somebody. And what we want to do is we want to turn that ship until, until we, mm-hmm. you know, we're not surrounded by wolves. And, and sometimes we find ourselves because we keep sinning, we keep making bad choices and nobody wants to talk about that. Like you, you, you can just make bad turn after bad turn after bad turn and you're, you're in a corner and, 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 and there's wolves. Now what do you do? Well, we got to figure out how to try to undo those decisions. And so what I would do is, as I would meet with soul care here at Sandals Church, mm-hmm. I would sit down, you know, number one, you know, you can't drink. Number two, you got to change, you got to change your friends. Like if you're around people that want to get you drunk, that want you to have a drink, like you you could hang out with me for the rest of your life. I'm never going to offer you a joint. I'm never going to offer you a drink. You know, I'm never going to say, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, I'm just not that friend. So find friends like me at Sandals Church that are going to, are going to be positive influence for you. You know, get in a small group where if you don't show, somebody calls. Hey, where were you? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Not every small group does that in our church. Find a small group where people care about you. And it's not just a meeting once a week, you know, where you're going over the sermon notes, but they actually care about your life. And that's what small group is for Tammy and I. We actually have decided to care about the people in our groups that lives, we do life together. We challenge each other. We, we take challenge we from one another. Other. Yeah, we celebrate. You need to, you need to change your crowd. Um, and then you, you got to listen. Forgiveness is mandated by Christians. Trust is not. So you need to allow Christians the opportunity to forgive you, celebrate you. Hey, we're super glad that you're making these changes. You got to earn their trust. Mm. And especially, it sounds like you've spent maybe a decade or more of your life lying, manipulating, and cheating. And so it may take a decade where people look at you. Um, you know, one of the friends, one of my friends I want to have on this show, 
he was homeless in LA and a meth, meth head for four years. And, you know, his parents celebrated when he got clean. They were excited and they were celebrated, but they were, they, they did not trust him for years because there were so many wounds and so many hurts and so many lies, you know, and, and so he's been clean now for 10 years. He's married. Uh, and his wife that he's married to doesn't even know the homeless guy in LA that just lived for meth every day. Mm. But that's what he said is, he said, it's interesting. So when he shares a story, he said, it's hard for his parents to even share that story because it's so painful, mm -hmm. so hurtful for them. And, um, and he tries to honor that. He tries to honor that by not bringing it up a lot because it's just, it's weird with his, his brother. It's weird with his mom, his dad. And so people need to see that over time, you're a different person. You can't just announce like, so, so biblically, right? You become a Christian, you're a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. That's great. But people need to see that over time that, okay, I can trust you. Okay. You're not lying to me. Okay. You're not, you're not making this up. This isn't, this isn't some deal like, right. You know, this isn't some rehearsed story to get, to get me hurt again. And so that just takes time. Um, and, and some people may not, mm -hmm. may not want to trust and you got to let those people go. So, and have grace for them and understand yeah. that. I, I think it's extraordinary that you're in your twenties and you go, my life is exploding. I think how you're feeling should be the starting point for motivation. Like the way I've been is not working. And, and because obviously you're not okay, or you were not writing in, you're not being real with this. So, you know, I think some practical things to do in addition to, you know, you've made a mess. Now you're in that mess, whatever that looks like. Um, but just to figure out, there's probably some key people you need to start some conversations with. I don't know who those would be, if that's your family, your parents, um, whoever that is in your life and, and language of just, you know, I have not been the best version of myself and yeah. I'm so sorry, yeah. I, you know, will you forgive me? I don't know how to change just yet, but I want to change and I'm going to figure that out. But I want to be a better version of myself. I want to be a better whatever relate, you know, son, daughter, brother, sister, whatever that is. But, you know, you can't fix it all at once. So I would I would encourage you to think of the few conversations that are the, the, the pillars that need to start this rebuilding and try to figure out how to have those going into them with all of the understanding. Like, you know, well, you've been terrible. I know. Yeah. You know, with humility and trust and just understand that you know, a little bit, again, that doesn't mean trust will be back, but trust the process of your humility, your repentance, you, you asking for forgiveness, acknowledging her Eve caused, it does go a long way in planting seeds for healing, for changing situations. It won't change everyone. Like you said, it might not, but it, it's a starting point, Yeah, you know, to say, yeah, like, I'm really sorry. I've been terrible. What can they say? Like, yeah, you have. I know I have, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm regretful. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to make it right. I want to do better, you know, have, have figured those few conversations out and start there and then build with that. Like you, you said you knew a friend who had a situation like that where they'd done a lot of hurt and they spent a year yeah. having conversations. Of, yeah. Spent a lot of time on coffee. Yeah. You know, face to face, uh, you know, he was a minister and so he was on stage and so there was a lot of people who trusted him, listened to him, follow him. And so he just literally for, it was two years actually, just 
coffee with anyone that wanted it so he could ask for forgiveness. So two, two things. Number one, the reason you're not motivated is you don't value and see yourself the way God does. Mm. If you could see yourself the way That's God good. does, you would be instantaneously motivated. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're listening to the enemy who says it doesn't matter. You don't matter. You don't, va- you, 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 you can't change. Those things are all lies. You absolutely can do that with God. All things are possible. Mm-hmm. Number two, I would get into a Christian based 12 step program because what you need is steps. And and what's overwhelming about your life is you don't know what to change. And so the beauty of the 12-step program is they give you steps, one step at a time, one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to work on this, and this is what I'm working on. Um, you know, be careful, because as you hang around addicts and, and, and alcoholics, you know, their threshold for it's okay is a lot lower than most people's. And so I think that it's important that you don't just surround yourself with recovering people in recovery. You need to res- surround yourself with healthy people that are like, yeah, that's not normal. So a lot of my friends in recovery, they just kind of get stuck in that world and you don't want to be stuck there forever. And so you want to get out. So you need both people that are going through it and can help you through it. Those are people in recovery, uh, people who've been sober. And then you need people who haven't experienced that that can say, yeah, no, that's weird. Uh, Cause you know, I used to go to AA meetings when Tammy and I first started Sandals Church. I, I worked with uh, kids that had addiction problems. And so I, I mm-hmm. went to AA every, a couple times a week, you know, and I had, because they were minors, I had to sit in the meetings and I just heard a lot of bad advice. I heard a lot of bad advice. I heard a lot of excuses and, and, and you need people that. We need people that can model what it looks like to be healthy. Yeah. Because if the, if addiction and those circles and those crowds are the only thing you've ever seen and you want to do different, but you've never seen what different looks like. You've never seen what healthy relationships look like, what healthy interaction of asking for forgiveness, giving forgiveness, forgiveness, yeah. um, how to treat someone, how to talk to somebody. If you're never seeing that because everyone in, in the pool that you're swimming in only has your same experience. Yeah. There's it's hard to get out of that pool. You need people who've never been in that pool and all of us have our issues in different ways, yeah. but to be able to go like, "Oh, a marriage could look like that." Yeah. "Oh, a husband could talk to a wife like that, a wife to a husband like that, to kids like that." "Oh, like that's it's important to have people that understand where you've been and can empathize and encourage in that way, but also people who haven't been there." that can model to you like that was the way, but here's a different Yeah, way. no, and, and what Tammy's saying, you know, we had a um we had a group of individuals at our church years ago and, you know, they'd all come out of addiction, came out of violent relationships, and they ultimately wanted to start their own church. So it was kind of a recovery ministry at Sandals and they what they decided is we want our own church because we, we don't relate to you guys. And so they created this, I mean, literally their their lead pastor created this Jew-Gentile kind of story. You're Jews, we're Gentiles, you know, you're, you're religious and we're, you know, we're sinners and we need something different. And so they, they left our church um, and they planted their own church. And it was really a, rec- it was really a recovery community group, but they were all a mess. And so when they divorced themselves from healthier, normal yeah. people, you know, like, you know, Tammy and I can have an argument and it doesn't turn into me hitting her, her, you know, hitting me like the police aren't involved. Like for them, that's like every week, you know, I mean, and I'm like, you and guys it feels normal, yeah, but it's unhealthy. And so that whole church unraveled the pastor, you know, lost his marriage, man. It just, I mean, like the whole leadership team just, it just imploded because they said, we just want to be around each other. And it's like, look, have your you know, your community that understands addiction and recovery, that's important, but also have your community that 
doesn't. So I think that the AA community has a lot of wisdom to Mm -hmm. help Christians that are just struggling with normal everyday sins. I think that, you know, help us be real and authentic. But also the the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous community needs people that understand what what a a more normal, more healthy life looks like. Mm-hmm. And really, what we need is each other, and that's the church. And yes. so, um, so you might feel more comfortable there, but that's not where God wants you to stay. So I would say stay connected to mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. Awesome, guys. Well, that's a that's all the questions I have. Three things that I think would be very helpful if uh, you or someone you know is, is is in need or wants to speak to somebody. Uh, we do have Soul Care, and you mm-hmm. can find all that information mm-hmm. at move.se/help. If you want to jump into the sixty day reading plan, yes, uh, you can so find good. all that at move.se/app. And if you have a question for us, uh, if you go to debrief.show, there is a button that says Ask Pastor Matt, and we would love to have your question mm-hmm. here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks guys. Love you. Have a great week. Bye.